So Jonah chapter 3, and just to remind you, Jonah is not a book about Jonah, and Jonah is not a book about the giant fish. Uh, Jonah is a book of the Bible about God's endless mercy to rebels. That's, that's what the book of Jonah is about. And, um, and as we get oriented there, Jonah chapter 3, let me just remind you of where we've been in Jonah so far. Because it's been, we've had Justin Kidrick came to large group, Tim Udodge came for our last large group. And um, so it's been a while, but we're going to finish it. Um, that's our goal with um, doing these large groups online. Um, Jonah is this, this rebel prophet that God called to go prophesy to the nation, the evil nation, Nineveh. He goes to Jonah. He says, you're my guy. You're, the, you're my man for the job. Go to Nineveh. And instead of following God's call, Jonah went his own way, boards the ship, goes to Tarshish, which was the, in the opposite direction of Nineveh, gets on the boat, and we know what happens. He gets thrown overboard. In Jonah chapter 2, we spent two weeks on Jonah in the belly of the fish, and um, he is hunted down by God uh, with this fish, and he's changed from the inside. And so now he, where we are in chapter 3, he's vomited out of the fish, and uh, God is saying, hey, my call on your life and for the world is not changing. Um, you're still my prophet in Nineveh. Uh, is going to be a people who get my mercy, and uh, I want them to have my mercy. Jonah continues to fight, but that's where we are in chapter three. Um, so uh, let me let me pray, and uh, and then we'll walk through it. Okay, Lord, thank you for the unique gift of technology these days. Uh, I am I'm grateful for it as I've talked with a lot of, of folks the last couple of weeks, uh, a lot of in this, this crew right here, just their, um, we have very uh, strange relationships with technology. Uh, we are addicted to technology in many ways, and yet it is a true gift right now because we're able to connect with one another uh, in a season of life where we desperately need that. And Lord, um, we just give thanks for uh, the gift of technology and for this uh, time that we can gather together and consider your word that's living and active and once again be changed and be both doers and, uh, and hearers of it. So Lord, teach us. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so <clears throat> um, many of you know that I have gotten into uh, running over the past year or so and uh and because that's what you do when you turn 30, you, uh, you're anticipating your metabolism uh, to start getting messed up. You're going to get the, the dad bod inevitably, whether you like it or not. And so it's time to run. And if you want to take running seriously, uh, apparently you need to get a smartwatch. You need to get a smartwatch. And they're all kinds of brands, like smartwatch brands. You know this. You have Apple watches. You have Garmin watches. You have Fitbit watches. And there's all these kinds of brands, and they do different things. And I went with Garmin. And they have the bells and whistles. They tell you your heart rate. They track your steps. They have a GPS feature where they tell you and show you your running routes, all these things. And what I did not realize uh, is that uh, Garmin watches also have this, this feature that I did not realize until after I got it. Garmin watches speak. 
Garmin watches speak. And here's what I mean. I was sipping my coffee the like two days after I figured out what this watch was and how it was going to help me run and keep track and everything. I'm sipping my coffee. I'm, I'm uh, eating breakfast and uh, my watch vibrated on my wrist and it, uh, and it buzzed at me. And I looked down and it had a message for me. It had a message more for me. And here's what it said in all caps, move. It just said move in all caps. And so apparently the Garmin watch thought that I had been sitting still for too long. It's time to go walk Riggins. It's time to walk around the house. It's time to go for a run. Okay, these watches do this. If you have a smartwatch, uh, if you haven't messed with the settings, you, it probably will buzz at you and it'll tell you that message and probably in all caps, move, move. So uh, friends, the God of the Bible is not a stagnant God. The God of the Bible is not a stagnant God. And tonight what we're gonna see in Jonah 3 is that God's mercy is on the move. God's mercy is on the move. It's not going to keep still. And no matter how stagnant we feel and no matter how stagnant the world seems, especially right now, Spartanburg is like a ghost town right now. Uh, many of us feel stuck right now, out of control right now. And the God of the Bible, uh, stopping and keeping still is not a category for the God of the Bible. Um, Ivy's going in and out, hence the doorbell. Um, that's what we're going to see in Jonah 3. So I'm going to read the passage, and we're just going to walk through it. Um, and friends, as I've told you before, and I tell you uh, over this medium, uh, this is God's word. He's spoken to you. He's spoken to me not to give us a book of rules to follow or a theology exam to ace. He's spoken to you and spoken to me because he loves us. This is God's word. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. And now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and then he called out, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covering himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through, and, and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them all call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had uh, said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Okay, so we're going to see, here's the game plan with walking through this passage. We have, uh, we have two points, and uh, the first is um, movement and 
Second is messengers, movement and messengers. And here's what we mean. Mercy is on the move. God and his mercy is on the move. It is not keeping still. And so we have the movement of mercy. Where does it go? Where does it, how does it move? And then the messengers of mercy. So let's go through the movement of mercy. And so remember, friends, the story of Jonah and the story of the Bible is, is that God's mercy has a very particular direction to it, a movement to it, because God's mercy is not stagnant. It never stays still. God's mercy always moves to unlikely places, to unlikely people, always. Remember, the book of Jonah is abundantly clear uh, about who this mercy is for, Nineveh. And Nineveh, as we've talked about before, to remind you, they were, like Jonah didn't want to go there because they were an evil nation, an evil empire, um, and they, they t- terrorized their victims in war in ways like I can't even say out loud to you because it's so crazy and awkward and violent. Uh, but it's, it's insane, and that's why Jonah didn't want to go. Jonah didn't expect Nineveh to receive God's mercy. So for Jonah, Nineveh was off limits. Nineveh was off limits for him personally, and it was off limits for him when it comes to God's mercy. God's mercy, he could experience it in his life, and his kind of folk could receive mercy, but not Nineveh, off limits. But God, Nineveh, uh, what was off limits for Jonah was exactly where God wanted to go. God wanted to go to where Jonah said, no, Lord, uh, that's off limits. That place, you don't want to go there. You don't want me to go there either. either. And so what we see is that God's mercy, it's on the move, and he, he goes to uncharted territory. He meets with and extends mercy to unlikely people. This is what the God of the Bible does. He goes to where we don't want him to go, uh, enemy territory, uncharted territory, And so in the Gospels, we see this. We hear Jesus tell people around him, God's mercy moves towards sinners, not the righteous. God's mercy is for the sick, not the well, right? In 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing to this misfit group of saints who are quirky church, all kinds of issues. And the text says that God chose not people of noble, noble birth, these were like the low, like people marginalized by society. God chose, Paul goes on in 1 Corinthians and says, God chose not the strong, but the weak, not the foolish, or not the, not the wise, uh, but the foolish. And this is what we see. And so anytime, here's, here's what we need to see. When, anytime that we get very particular and try to control God and tell him where he can and can't go with his mercy, that's exactly where he's going to go. A people group, an area of the country, even areas of our lives. If we say off limits, you can go ahead and anticipate that's exactly where he's going to go next. We do this to him all the time. When we stiff arm him with, with his mercy, he's, he's going to invade us with his mercy, because he's committed to doing that to the whole world. Um, and we see this in the life of Jesus. Um, remember when Tim Udodge came, he talked about the Samaritan woman. The text says that 
he had, Jesus had to go through Samaria. No one wanted to go through Samaria, much less interact with this prostitute lady who's had five husbands and knows who, who knows what else she's done. And this man goes up to her. This was socially unacceptable. Jesus goes to uncharted territory. Uh, he moved towards her and, toward, and showed her mercy. And we also see this in this story that Jesus told, the parable of the great banquet, in Luke 14, I'm going to turn there really quickly if you want to follow along, but uh, don't feel, feel like you have to. Jesus tells the story, a parable, um, of the great banquet. And this is what Jesus says. Listen to who Jesus goes toward, where his mercy, it's on the move. Where does it go? This is where Jesus' mercy goes. And he said also, uh, this is Luke 14, 12. And he said to a man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet. Listen to this. Do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Listen to this. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid full at the resurrection of the just. And so here's the list, y'all. Poor, crippled, lame, blind, and you'll be blessed. That's who God goes after. That's who Jesus goes after in his life. Um, and so Jesus moves towards, we see this. Levi was one of the disciples. His, his name eventually changed to Matthew. You know what he was? He was like a gangster, essentially, of the day. He was uh, essentially a gangster. He was, he was a tax collector. They were like crooked lawyers who would always keep like a fifth of bourbon underneath their desk. You never would trust a tax collector. That, he was exactly who Jesus wanted in his life and to be a disciple. And then you know what happens with Paul before Paul starts planting churches and uh, becomes a theologian and a pastor of the early church. You know what he did before? His name was Saul and he killed Christians. Okay, if we say off limits to Jesus, he's going to go there and extend mercy, okay? So that's the movement of mercy. So what happens when you get mercy? That's our second point. You become a messenger. Um, the message of God's mercy always involves, once it lands on someone, once it lands with a group of people, you become a messenger uh, after uh, you become a recipient of, of God's mercy, and that's what we see with, um, with Jonah. The, the message of God's mercy is always taken forth by messengers. And so who, who are these people? What kind of people? Are these televangelists? Are these seminary professors? Are they ordained ministers? And uh, are PAs like Ivy messengers of God's mercy? Um, are you pre-med types when you go into medicine? Are you a, are a messenger of God's mercy? Who are the messengers? First, we see that God's messengers are those who have actually received and experienced God's mercy. They've received and experienced God's mercy. Remember that our passage comes right after in chapter 2. Context is important here. Chapter 2, Jonah has been in hell in the belly of a giant fish. And it has changed him. He has turned, he has returned to God, and his heart 
is changed. When he literally, you know, the, reser- the, the vomit, uh, him getting vomited out uh, in many ways could be allegorically seen as a resurrection. He's changed. Life and death happens to Jonah. And so he's a recipient of God's mercy. Because you know that Jonah's sin going his own way led him down and further down and further down. And then he swallowed up and changed by God's mercy. And you know, as we consider the story of the Bible, we see that messengers of God's mercy are those who have received and experienced it always. Think of Abraham. Abraham experienced God's mercy firsthand. The Lord chose him, sought him out, and said, I'm going to bless the whole world through your line, and be, you're going to be a blessing to the nations. Did you know Abraham was someone who was so broken, and there was so much generational and family sin that came out of Abraham's line? He was so messed up. This guy was not. And let's go to David, okay? We've talked about David before. Uh, man on God, uh, uh, man of God's own heart on the one hand, murderer and adulterer on the other. This is a man who has experienced the mercy of God, okay? Uh, we also see this with the Apostle Paul. We've already talked about him. What does he call himself in one of his letters? The chief of sinners. This is a man who knows the only shot that I have is this message that I'm preaching and I've given my life to because I've experienced it. I'm a messenger because I've experienced it. We see this uh, when people are healed. Think about when Jesus heals someone physically. What oftentimes, you, all, you will see this move. Um, they will be healed physically and spiritually. And maybe it's like a parent. They bring someone to Jesus. My daughter is blind. My daughter is deaf. My daughter... Um, has some sort of illness out of control, Jesus heals them and everyone starts freaking out because they've experienced mercy and they freak out because they've been changed and they have to go uh, show and tell people about this Jesus, like the Samaritan woman. Let me tell you about a man who, who told me everything uh, that I needed to know. He said, uh, come to me, I'm living water and I've tasted. I've seen that the Lord is good and I'm changed. That's what we see. So it's Abraham, it's Paul, it's David, the disciples, Samaritan woman at the well. The messengers of God's mercy are those who have received God's mercy and experienced God's mercy. And I want to say this is, this is sort of off the cuff. Tim Udaj uh, uh, went on this, I think, in a really helpful way when he preached the Samaritan woman text. Those who have often, why do you think that it, it, you might, y'all might have like addicts uh, like alcoholic or drug addict family members who maybe have f- essentially have some sort of spiritual awakening with the gospel when they've been involved in recovery communities like AA. And then but they become some of the most zealous missionary types. Why? Why is that? Like the Samaritan woman, they are literally in the belly of the fish of their addiction and they're so far down when mercy grips them they, there's no turning back now. Like there is no turning back. That's why some of the, again, like if you look through church history with Martin Luther and a lot of these, a lot of these sort of zealous missionary types, they were so drastically changed that there's no turning back. That's the movement that we see. Um, the second thing we see is the, the, the God's messengers, uh, they, they extend mercy. They don't just receive mercy, they extend mercy. Jonah 
didn't just receive and experience God's mercy. He was a man called to extend it. And remember uh, Jonah being such a literary masterpiece in the Bible, uh, me nerding out as an English major for a second. Repetition is extremely important in Jonah. And we, we, there are a lot of repeated phrases and words. And so Jonah went down and down and down. So the author's trying to tell us something about sin. Uh, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. It's, it, the, 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 the book says that several times. It's trying to say God is committed to Jonah and bringing his word to Jonah and to the world that he might extend the word of God to others. And that's what we see uh, with Jonah, what we see with the repetition and being important. Um, Jonah, look, I'm going to repeat myself with you. I'm going to bring my word back to you. And I've vomited you out. I've swallowed you up. I've vomited you out. And my word's still coming to you. And you've got to go show and tell the world about my mercy. And you got to go to Nineveh. I know you don't want to go. I know where Tarshish is. You boarded the ship. You got to go back to, Tarsh, uh, to Nineveh. And that's what happens. And think again. We see this in Abraham's life. Abraham uh, did not just experience and receive God's mercy. He called Abraham to extend mercy to the world and be, be a light to the nations. A light to the nations to extend God's mercy to the world. And when he called David to extend mercy to Israel, he called him to lead God's people to show and to tell that Yahweh is the one true God in the midst of Gentile craziness of idol worship, Right? He's, he's called not to just experience it, but to extend mercy. And again, think of Paul, this chief of sinners, I'm as low as it gets. He called Paul to show and to tell the gospel to the Galatian church, the Corinthian church, the Roman church, all the churches, right? What is he doing? He's extending God's mercy. And then after the Samaritan woman in John 4, we, I just, I just kind of went there. I'm going to repeat myself. Uh, I got ahead of myself when I talked about it. What does she do? She has to go tell people. She experiences and encounters the living Christ. And there's no going back. There's no going back. And part of going forward when you've experienced God's grace is you go extend God's grace with your words and with your actions. You show and you tell that Jesus is true bread true living water because you've tasted and you've seen that he's good. Um, there's no returning uh, to business as usual once this happens to you. It's what we see in the Bible. So mercy never stands still, ever. And uh, did you notice how the story ends if you, if you look there uh, the end of this chapter? What, what happens? Jonah goes, he finally goes, he does what he's been called to do. Uh, the Ninevites are converted. These crazy, uh, y'all can go like Wikipedia, like Nineveh in the first century or something, and you can read about all the crazy stuff that they did. This crazy, uh, barbaric Gentile nation converts and they start worshiping Yahweh, the God of the Bible. It's insane. No one expected this. And here's what we see. God's mercy is on the move. It is not stagnant. God is so committed to bringing every, this is what the good shepherd does. He brings every single one of his sheep to himself and he will not stop. 
with or without Jonah, and friends, with or without you, with or without me, if I want to abandon my call of experiencing and extending God's mercy, uh, I'm not going to get in the way of God bringing his sheep to himself and thank, thank God that he's more committed to his sheep uh, and his plan than I am. But he, he's on the move with or without us, with or without Jonah. Very instructive for us. And, and so it's, it's sort of entering into his kingdom and plan of extending God's mercy into the world. We can just join him in what he's already doing because he's going to do it with or without us. Okay, I'm going I'm to close. This is, uh, this is the last thing I'm going to say just to, to land the plane, as I'll often say. Uh, I realize that for y'all, can everybody hear me okay? Uh, <laughs> nice, Caroline. Yes, that's exactly what it stands for. These are really uncertain times for for us. And if you think about the, the language that our, our world is using right now to describe uh, the season that we're entering, social distancing... You drive around, it's a ghost town. The, the businesses are closing. People don't know if they're going to have jobs. Um, there's so much uncertainty, and things uh, seem to be very stagnant. Things seem to be, um, and many of us just feel stuck, like literally physically stuck. We can't move. We have to social distance. We can't move towards our friends. Uh, and many of us feel spiritually stuck. Being still is sort of exposing all kinds of uh, things that are restless in us uh, and may- maybe even sin issues that um, we just wish were not such a big deal and we thought we'd be over by now. We feel stuck. Let me just say, um, the Lord is very committed to you and His mer- there is no off switch to God's mercy in your life and God's mercy in the world. There is no off switch for it. Social distance is not a category for Jesus at all. Uh, It is not a category. And it's not a category for his individual sheep and his children. So you as his daughter, you as his son, there is no off switch. There is no cruise control. It's not stagnant. You might feel like you physically and spiritually can't move right now, uh, Jesus is committed to, by his spirit, change you from the inside out, regardless of circumstances, regardless of um, what post-grad plans look like now, what the summer looks like now, what um, s- study abroad looks like now. I know all your ch- plans are just completely ripped away from you right now, and God's mercy uh, is not changing in the speed of it and the movement of it on you individually and in the world. He's he's so committed. He's so committed. And so ultimately what we see in Nineveh converting, friends, um, is that um, what he wants for Nineveh to experience God's mercy is what God wants for the whole world, and he's not going to stop until it happens. Every nation every tribe, every tongue, every generation uh, that is in the flock of God, uh, he's going to chase them down with his mercy, uh, with or without us. And that's good news. And so let me, the last thing I'll say before we break up, just by way of sort of pastoral application to you, I I didn't want to do a one-off sermon and like go through a random passage that directly applied to our moment right now. I, I wanted us to stay in Jonah to say, look, um, 
we're going to stay put in Jonah and return to business as usual as it relates to God's word because it's living and active and it meets us right where we are. Um, and just trust that God uh, is going to speak to us in his word, even if it's this rebel prophet who um, is the story is so obscure. How can it possibly relate to us? Um, but his plan hasn't changed. Didn't for Jonah, didn't for the world, isn't for you either. And that's good news. Um, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to, and again, thanks guys 